There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie podcast. For instance, number one, you can never have sex while listening. Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs while you're listening. The sin factor. It's the sin. It's an extension of number one. Number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, pause the podcast and say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Welcome to Franchise Flicks. My name is Ted, and joining me are my co-hosts, Andy and Zach. On this podcast, we task ourselves with watching movie franchises, breaking them down, and reviewing them, including franchises we've seen and loved, as well as franchises we've never seen and frankly avoided. Today, we're getting spooky for Halloween and talking about the meta-horror series that criticizes itself and its genre so much that it's going to be difficult for us to nitpick it, Scream. The series includes Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, and Scream 4. So, we usually like to start these episodes off with our experience levels on these franchises, so I'm going to let either Andy or Zach take it away with uh, where they're at with these. Well, I I have never seen a Scream before. Before we decided to do this, I've never seen a Scream movie. I think I've seen, like, you know, some, some bits and pieces of the movies around Halloween time here there. I'm sure of it, but never saw them. And I, uh, well, I, I really liked the series. I thought it was actually really fun, um, even though I'm not like a horror guy, but it's just, it's not horror. It's more like, I don't know. I, I liked the the intense meta feel of the series. I thought it was just such a cool way to make a movie. Really unique, and, and Wes Craven is, is a, forever a genius, so. Uh, that is, I, I, I don't, again, never really saw him before, but uh, as somebody who's, who actually enjoys watching movies now, it was really fun. It was a cool adventure. So I had seen all of these previously. I think I saw, not obviously in theaters when the first one came out, but definitely like when that had come out on VHS, I think we rented it as a family. So I remember seeing that as a kid. Scream 2, I remember scenes from, so I, I must have seen it at some point. Um, Scream 3, I remembered a lot of that plot, so I was like, okay, yep, I, I must have seen this one before. Scream 4, I couldn't remember a lot of it, so I must have only seen like bits and pieces of it, not actually watched the whole thing all the way through. But because I was already familiar with this, watching it back again, like, it's a completely different movie in my head from what I imagined uh, when I was a kid. So that was kind of cool being like, yeah. wow, this is way more cheesy than I remember or how things played out. I was like, oh, that's not how I remember it. So that was a pretty cool process to go back through and watch the series all over again. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I can imagine like watching as a kid, probably just thinking this is a standard horror movie rather than uh, realizing it's playing on all the tropes and uh, getting super meta. But as far as my experience level, I'm right there with Zach. Like, I've seen bits and pieces, and I know about Scream. But not really until super recently did I realize it was, like, infamous for being meta. I just thought it was another slasher series that 
they made a bunch of sequels of, and uh, I assumed it was the thing it was making fun of, essentially. And I I couldn't be happier to be wrong about it, though, because I enjoyed it quite a bit. And really, my only experience with Scream was uh, one year for Halloween. It made me remember that I went as Ghostface just because I thought it looked cool. And, not knowing who uh, Ghostface was? <laughs> not a clue. I just thought it was a scary horror villain. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this. But I remember hating being in that fucking costume because that goddamn mask just traps everything in it if i had that mask today during covid during the pandemic i would be all set because it just got drenched with condensation every time i breathed it was horrendous so yeah that's my experience level with it uh just a mask pretty much yeah <laughs> i think uh, yeah the mask is i mean what a, how could you have a better totem for a movie i mean how like you know iconic is that mask well, I think yeah. some of my think like misunderstandings of the plot or like where I what I thought was supposed to happen, I think actually came from Scary Movie, which is the, the yeah. parody of the parody, you know? Right, right. Um, it goes another level of meta. And there's a lot of because the Ghostface is also the villain in that. So like, right. Um, there were a lot of things there that I, I was probably thinking, oh, yeah, that's Scary Movie, actually. And confusing the two because it's been so long. Yeah, I, I do don't frequently think we'd enjoy. Oh, what were you gonna say? Sorry, I, I was just gonna say I, I frequently picture Damon Wayans in that in screen, <laughs> even though I I know for sure he's not. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think we'd enjoy watching the scary movie franchise now. I I think it's so lowbrow compared to what this is. Well, why don't yep. we get into the synopses real quick, uh, so everybody knows what we're talking about in case they're uninitiated, and then we'll get right into it. So uh, for Scream 1, Wes Craven reinvented and revitalized the slasher horror genre with this modern horror classic, which manages to be funny, clever, and scary as a fright-masked knife maniac stalks high school students in middle-class suburbia. Craven is happy to provide both tension and self-parody as the body count mounts, but the victims aren't the only ones you'd expect. Scream 2. Sydney, played by Nev Campbell, and tabloid reporter Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox, survive the events of the first Scream movie, but their nightmare isn't over when two college students are murdered at a sneak preview of Stab, a movie based on the events in the first film. It's clear a copycat killer is on the loose. Sydney and Gail, as well as fellow survivors Deputy Dewey, played by David Arquette, and Randy, played by Jamie Kennedy, have to find out who is behind the new murder spree before they all end up dead. Scream 3, the next installment in the Scream series, is set in Hollywood, where Stab 3 is being shot, with Gail Weathers and Dewey Riley on set as advisors to Jennifer Jolie. Unfortunately, a killer decides to off the cast in order of the screenplay, and only Sid Prescott, now in hiding until the killer tracks are down, can solve the riddle. And finally, Scream 4, it's been many years since the Ghostface Killer cut a deadly path through the town of Woodsboro. In order to get over the trauma of those horrific events, Sydney Prescott has written a self-help book. She returns to Woodsboro for her book tour and reconnects with old friends Gail Weathers and Sheriff Dewey. However, Sydney's arrival also sparks the return of Ghostface, putting Sydney and everyone she loves in danger. Well, those are the synopses. Uh, 
so everybody has kind of an idea of what we're going with here and uh let's get into some of the plot points and uh plot stuff i guess Damn. yeah yeah I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of plot stuff uh absolutely <laughs> it's fun you know what are the you said you said really like it you you didn't realize it was like supposed to be so meta and i thought the same thing like going in like i didn't realize like that was the point of this series and now looking back on it it feels so stupid because like that is the point of yeah. the series is that it's a horror movie about basically a horror movie i don't know how i missed that in the uh you know pop culture <laughs> just in general but i it almost took me by surprise and then it like exponentially grows every movie it like the it's like you know this scream 2 they were watching a movie about the events in scream 1 which was basically a, a horror movie trope to begin with so it like just goes deeper and deeper it's like the inception of horror movies yeah and, and it got so far to the point of the last one where it was like now everything has to be like groundbreaking everything has to be different it like deconstructed yeah. the horror genre what is it called i'm blanking on the knife me slasher yeah slasher there we go um yeah. slasher horror genre where it just kind of like takes what originally was created beforehand which was the trope carried on in the previous three movies and the fourth one says yeah it's going to be all that but like with a twist on top of it because it's the last yeah. one in the series well that kind of brings you to uh one of the best plot devices in these movies is randy meeks played by jamie kennedy who just yeah. serves the purpose of explaining the rules of each iteration of these movies unfortunately he's not anywhere to be seen in the fourth one because uh, he's one of my favorite characters just because of that he does that so well i uh, love of him of explaining all of that and everybody pretty much hates him because of it it's just a perfect character i feel but uh you know just an example from the first one uh you may not survive the movie if you have sex if you drink or you do drugs and everybody fucking boos him and that's just a fun scene. Uh, or if you say, I'll be right back. And what does Matthew Lillard do immediately? Goes and gets a beer and says, I'll be right back. So like just super fun stuff like that, that uh, he ends up going through and gives you an idea of like, this is what this one's going to do. So it sets you up for all of that, but also sets you up to uh, have some expectations I guess, stilted in some ways toward the end. You know, they, they kind of go with some twists here and there, but they generally follow the same uh, direction as the rules that he sets up early on in the movies. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the movies is full of this purposeful foreshadowing, but also purposeful misdirection. Like, it, it just, yep. it, it, it kind of balances that so well. I think that's that's really a strength of Wes Craven. It's like, yeah, this is like what you're expecting the trope to be. And yeah, this is pretty much how it's going to happen. But here's also like it just it it, it kind of takes a left turn in there, too. I think in, in like watching it the first time through, especially, you know, Scream 1 and really, you know, the the whole series did a great job at like keeping you kind of guessing through the whole thing. Like, who is it actually? And I just thought it was like, oh, well, this is this is just too obvious. It's a, it's a cheesy movie. And then they started to get a little more uh, you know, deep into it. 
Um, and I thought he did a great job at like actually keeping suspense. And it's not just a cheesy, you know, horror trope. And like there is going to be some misdirection in there. And everything, every scene, every, you know, uh, symbol is really important. Um, so it was, it, he did, I thought he did a great job at, at all four movies. I really liked it. I think I agree with everything except for the second film. I feel like that's the one where it felt like we jumped the shark early and the series comes back with three and four to close off nicely. Um, but I really felt like the the tropiness of it is brought out in the second one too much, where it feels like too much of a straight-to-DVD release kind of movie that plays on, oh, this is being a silly slasher movie, um, a meta critique of the, the genre, as opposed to the other ones, which they were doing that, but they also told really good stories that were more believable. You don't think a copycat is believable? I thought I actually thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like the, the ultimate, like the, the reveal and whatnot of everything. I'm talking about like the overall plot though. Like, okay, now we go to college and it just so happens that like all these characters are at the same college and they're all studying yeah. film. Like it, it just like it doubled down on all the things from the last movie. Boy meets world horror. Yeah. Version. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> like, oh, we're going off to college now. And then like. <laughs> right. It felt it didn't feel as authentic as the last movie. And then the third one does get back into that authenticity feeling where it I definitely feel like, OK, this is grounded in reality, but playing on the slasher film tropes. The second one just took me out of it. Yeah, so I kind of get what you're saying with that, Andy, uh, because immediately after that movie's a success, studios want to make a new one. So that movie came out right after a year later, I think. So, of course, for the studio, their thought is immediately the next step is they're all going to college and it's all the same characters who survived. And of course, everybody's going to meet up in some way, shape or form, all happenstance. So I, I think you've got a really tough ask for Wes Craven in that movie of make the sequel that is the thing you're making fun of to begin with, but also try to put in there that meta humor, that meta commentary that's going to shit all over that at the same time. Well, it's like so, outdo the meta, you know, right. it's, a, it's, it's like a challenge. Yeah. And he probably felt pressure to put more of that stuff in there to counterbalance how much of a stereotypical sequel it was going to be. But, right. you know, it, it still suffers because of it. And uh, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. Well, I <laughs> can I just say the the intros to these movies are probably my favorite intros to any movie ever. I just love how it goes right into it. This is this is the story we're telling and and it just and then it just expands on it from there. It just it's quick. Like it yep. gets you right into it. it. It makes that movie like it just sets the scene right from the beginning so you're invested. You're like, "Okay, so this is this is where we're at." And then everything else you know from that point on is going to be important in kind of the, you know, the the discovery of the detective work from your your main characters. And so like, you just you pay attention to everything, because like I said before, it's everything is important. You know, all the all the symbolism, all the foreshadowing, you know, every line that the character says, it, it could be important in like the, you know, the the 
the ends, you know, when you find out who the killer is. And it is very structured in that way. But, you know, um, I like I just I, I think the the intros to these uh, are are a really good device at just getting you right into the movie. Yeah, the first one is the phone call, which is a really like a perfect for the 90s. Right. You know, everyone's got your home phone. You're used to picking it up, answering you're like, who is this right before you get yeah. all the uh, caller ID stuff and cell phones are pretty new. So that's why they, they use the term like cellular phones uh, in the first one when they're referring to them. <laughs> right. The second movie, this is where it goes into the the cold open is the movie theater scene of like showing stab then the third one is the the guy that gets framed from the last two or you know the first movie it's him and like uh, his death i really like that one i think that was like one of my favorites thus far i think of the the cold openings and then the fourth one i didn't really care for because that was the one where it switches like it goes like back into like the movie and then like back into the movie and then back into scream four so it's just kind of like, I don't know, I, I figured out what they were doing and I got tired of it quickly. But I like the other yeah. ones, probably with the third one. Obviously, the first one's the best one. I guess they can't compete with like what it did. But in terms of the other ones, the sequels that come after it, the third one I like the most. Yeah. And uh, that kind of goes like, at least for the first one, back to the misdirection thing, because, uh, you know, being uninitiated to these things and you see a superstar like Drew Barrymore in the first scene of the movie, you're immediately thinking she's going to be the protagonist in this. That's a good point. And it immediately subverts your expectations by having her killed off in the first scene. And then yep. that establishes the trope of we're going to put some pretty big name stars in the beginning of these movies for bit parts. And that's just going to be what we do. And like that, they go to the nth degree in the fourth one. And I agree, Andy, it takes you out of it a little bit by like the third one. I think they go like one or two too many, but it's still a super fun thing that you're expecting the whole time. Like, oh, well, Jada Pinkett Smith's here in the second one. Obviously, she's dead in some capacity by the end of this scene. Uh, it's just a fun little uh, tidbit that they establish their own tropes. We talked about that in the uh, Indiana Jones episode. It, it's really cool it's to see a series establish its own tropes and then, you know, set those up for future movies going forward. Absolutely. This is another one of those movies, like you said, with Indiana Jones, that it's like it almost seems like, oh, my God, this is such a cheesy thing that, you know, this we've seen this trope a million times. But it, then you go back. And, oh, Scream actually set this set the tone, you know, set this trope like there. There's a lot of moments like that in here where you're like, oh, man, this was the original in in some of those tropes. It's it's kind of funny to think about after seeing like because they are very cheesy, like they're they're not just your straight up gore, you know, slasher films. They're really tropey. They're really cheesy. And it, it, it's really charming, you know, and they can still they it still has the gravitas to be an influence on other movies. It's really interesting. Absolutely. And those even play off of each other as they go forward. I, I really like how those get more interesting, like even though the fourth one, they do it a little too many times. Uh, I really like some of the lines from that one, uh, especially when it gets to uh, the the one in real life 
with the girl that I think is from like Friday Night Lights or whatever, and uh, that the killer calls her on the phone and like says, uh, you know, you're playing the part of the dumb blonde with the big tits, and then she retorts like not even flinching. Uh, I've got a 4.0 and a super high IQ, so you can fuck off with that. It just fun stuff like that where a character in the moment where they should be super terrified is just like, oh, excuse me, I take exception to that. It's just interesting how they weave those little things into these movies and make them super fun and campy, but at the same time, like, it just works somehow. I don't know uh, if this is the appropriate place to talk about this idea, but I think it fits with, like, the plot. Uh, points kind of thrown throughout these movies are these nice little Easter eggs to other horror franchises. Um, sure. Like, in the first one, you get the custodial worker who's got the Freddy Krueger um, sweater yeah, on. I think his funny. name is Freddy. Uh, I really like that one because it's just, like, a nice little subtle one of the sweater being recognized in Wes Craven. Um, and then what's another good one that sticks out to me? That's that's the one that just jumped out in my mind when we were talking about, like, the things that we really like about all the things that happen in the plot. I like those little Easter eggs when they came up. Yeah. Uh, one that sticks out to me now that you mention it is uh, in the first one when Jamie Kennedy's character is watching Friday the 13th and or Halloween, mm -hmm. rather. I'm sorry. I'm not super well versed in these movies, so I kind of mix those two up. But uh, he's yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis. He has the same first name as her. And he's yelling, Jamie, turn around, turn around, while Ghostface is right behind him. He luckily survives that. But uh, it's just a fun little nod, just like he is in the exact same scenario that she is. And it seems like in every one of the movies, uh, they have at least one scene where an older horror movie is playing in the background in some capacity, which is always nice to see in these as well. I think probably my favorite like trope that they use every time, like you know, about kind of about like the the other horror movies and like the the here the, these are the rules of horror movies. They always come back. They yep. do that so well. That's such a funny. Thing that they do like with these once they finally triumph over the the killer they find the killer they they stop them and they they always come back i think is my favorite because they just finally just one tap them in the head or double tap them in the head yeah i love it and then in three so like going way too far in three because uh randy establishes in the video that well your villain's probably going to be superhuman so uh Dewey right. keeps shooting, uh, what's his name, in the chest, and then they yell, the head, the head, finally shoots him in the head, and then he goes down. <laughs> okay, speaking of Dewey, if we can, like, kind of just move into acting and characters real quick. Sure. David Arquette is terrible. <laughs> yeah, but in a like really fun way. <laughs> <laughs> really? I think he's... Like it, 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 he worked for the character because, like, he just, I, he, it was well cast. I think he's so bad, <laughs> but I actually, it's, it's, it's interesting because I did, I did find like his character kind of charming, but like the way he, dude, the the way he walks when uh, <laughs> after his accident, it kind of drove me crazy. I was like, that's kind of that's a little insensitive, but. <laughs> 
I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, I, I thought the same thing too. And it, <laughs> I noticed that in the third one, it goes away. It's no yeah, longer there. So that's true. Hopefully yeah. some physical therapy um, really got that, that issue taken care of. So he was no longer, you know, affected by the, the stab wound. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's eventually got to progress to the point where he can be Sheriff Dewey in the fourth one. He he can't be Sheriff Dewey and have a bum leg. Yeah, or just half a, a, a numb half of his body, apparently. Yeah. No, but I, I agree with you, though. I, I think David Arquette's probably uh, a, a B-grade actor at best, but I think that worked for this movie because that's like it's playing true. playing on that trope. Like, several times in these movies the characters talk about how bad the acting is in these horror movies. Right. And like, whether it's naturally that they're doing it or they're being coached to do it, they do that very well and make you feel like you're in a regular horror movie. That's also really playing off the tropes of horror movies. So I, I think it does a good job of grounding it within that kind of universe, but also playing off of that stuff as well it's true it does kind of like even just the acting itself kind of gives you that bird's eye view of the story you know what i mean like it just kind of it takes you out enough to to kind of be that executor over like the the storyline you know what i mean like it yeah it gives you like you you know you're watching a story and you're still kind of immersed in trying to figure it out with them and what's going to happen but it takes you just one level beyond being immersed in it to like see it in a macro view and and know that it's a movie. I, I think I actually think it's a really good job of the direction of the actors to to be able to do that. Uh, who's the the deputy? I, I don't know if that's her title, but the the female police officer in the fourth one. No, oh, I I'll never figure female out female police officer. Yeah, the, the one who has a crush on Dewey. I know who you're talking about, but I'll uh, never be able to tell you her name. Well, I like the the misdirect with her character because this was the probably of the four movies, the one I was the least familiar oh, right. with going into this one. So the whole time I was thinking, is she a part of this? Because I liked right. what they were doing with her character, where she was clearly obsessed with, you know, now Sheriff Dewey. She was doing all these things. They introduced this idea of like her kind of being a an alpha female conflict with Gail Weathers, uh, who's now the wife of Dewey. So like I the I was thinking that okay, this is what they're leading up to where okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow along, watch, like you were saying, Zach, with these characters as they're going through. But up above, I'm paying attention. I'm watching what she's doing. Right. I'm seeing what, right. like, when does she leave? When does she make a phone call? Like, all the, the little clues that are sprinkled in the previous movies as to, like, who the killers are. I was, like, focused in on her right away. Uh, because Yeah, because they're kind of projecting that to you. Like, the, you, this is somebody you want to pay attention to. You know, whether you do or not, like, they're projecting that in, in the way she presents herself. Yeah. 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 And they do that throughout the movies. I think that's a really strong example of it, especially in that one that probably us more than anybody were super unfamiliar with, even with like our very uh, tertiary knowledge of these movies. But even in the first one, I thought for the longest time until the end of it that Dewey was somehow involved because 
you know, that there was the scene uh, toward the beginning when uh, Sid gets attacked and he's holding the mask in the front and it's like, okay, are they saying he really found it or was he taking it off? What's happening here? And it'd be super convenient because he's a cop for him to Phone be call at to... their house too. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, his sister was best friends with Sydney. So that's another right. connection. He knows where she is at all times. And then there was also a line dropped uh, about horror movies. I don't necessarily remember which one it was, but they talked about like their favorite horror movies to each other. And like suddenly Dewey sounded very confident and smarter than he had been throughout the entire movie in that one little moment. And it's like, oh, yeah. you know, that that's the whole thing with the Ghostface killer in the first movie is he's quizzing everybody on horror movies when he's on the phone with them. God, right. Dewey could be a suspect, but they throw you for a loop. I mean, that one in particular really throws you off when they throw the obvious. Well, it couldn't be Billy because, you know, he did have the cell phone, but you're not going to make the killer be the guy that you first suspect in the movie. But uh, yeah, it, it, well, it makes you go back and forth between yeah. Billy and Dewey and, you know, some some other characters like Randy. Like you, yep. at some point, you're like, oh, maybe it's Randy because he knows so much. Like so like it does a good job at kind of giving you reason to suspect all of these characters. Yeah. Right. Giving them sort of a, a motive, I guess, for lack of a better term. But it does leave you clues throughout the whole movie to lead you to the right answer. And so that's, again, a great example of be having this campiness to it, but also being like a serious whodunit slasher film. Uh, what any other like acting performances that really stand out to you? I know that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, we talked about Dewey. Neve Campbell, does she like do it for you guys? I, I mean, she does it for me in a certain way. What do you mean? Does that, it? I did like. Is she? Does she? T all right. I'll I'll give you my perspective on it. I don't really buy her as a protagonist. I I don't. I get that they're what the kind of character that they're going for. This headstrong, confident, capable woman. But I just I I don't know. I don't, I didn't really buy it from Neve Campbell as a protagonist. I more bought her as like the tropey, you know, she she even has a line in the first one about the killer stalking a dumb, big titted teenager, essentially. And I think like she plays that well. But beyond that, that's like her role in the series. And, you know, she just ends up being the center of all of it. And she's really more of a plot device, I think, kind of like Randy is to it's just true. have have a center point for the killers every time we have these movies because each time whether it's they if they have like an actual vendetta against sydney or if they're just interested in her because she survived she's always the focal point because she was the focal point in the first movie it's like all these copycat killers whether they want to exact personal revenge or they're just there to fuck around and kill people She's always the focal point, and I think, you know, it. I don't know, she, she's fine. Yeah, and I, I would yeah. kind of argue against the idea of her being the protagonist. I get it from, like, a very just generic use of the term, like, she's the lead female character. But what this franchise does is it's like a trope on all of these things. So she, she's not necessarily the, the protagonist, 
she just happens to be the lead female character, as Ted was saying, to play out this trope, to be the connective tissue, more so of a plot device than necessarily a character. I think our, our main characters, our protagonists, are more like Dewey and Gale, because uh, they're the ones who actually go through different struggles and grow from these films. Sydney's like always the same. She doesn't really yeah. grow throughout the movies, other than just like becoming more and more paranoid about like her life situation going from w rightfully so going from nothing as a teenager no paranoia other than some leftover trauma from the death of her mother uh but going so far as in the like third movie we get how she's constantly locking things they do the whole like showing the window open and closed and like that playing on her psyche so Less so of like a main character that you're kind of like rooting for as the protagonist versus an antagonist, but just like another character um, among this. Uh, what's a good way of describing this? Um, ensemble. Ensemble. Yes, an ensemble of characters that all fill into the horror movie trope. That's a fair yeah. perspective. I think that's that's the right way to look at it. I, I mean, I definitely like Courtney Cox. I thought was great. She's one of my favorites throughout the series for sure i thought she was awesome played out the you know another trope but I, I do, you're right you do feel yourself kind of rooting for her more than sydney in some ways where sydney is always the 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 victim in this or the 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 hunted i guess you could say right uh but you, that's a good perspective to look at it with you know it's she's not necessarily the main character she is that that device to move the story forward and it actually plays out really well i mean the have with with all of the you know the copycats of and the, and just the motive of ghostface in particular um wanting to continue that with sydney throughout the whole series i thought it was actually a, a pretty interesting through line throughout the whole thing yeah, and uh, they tend to have teams of people being the Ghostface killer. It's usually pairs yeah. of two. Other than, I think, three, unless I'm misremembering, I think Roman, her half-brother, was, like, acting alone. But it's I always teams, and it, it seems like there's always one person who wants to exact some kind of revenge on Sydney for one thing or another, and then the other person is really just in it to kill people. So, like, in the first one, you've got Billy, and then you've got Stu, played by Matthew Lillard. And uh, I really liked his character because he was just funny and goofy. But honestly, you'd never think he's the killer because he's just such a fucking doofus the whole time. Not Shaggy. And, I mean, Baggy. yeah, not Shaggy. Honestly, I can hear him talking about Scooby Snacks right now. And I bet he did it with Forrest and Scooby Snacks. I bet that's might what have. Billy Loomis told him. He might have. Even though these movies were well before Scooby-Doo, maybe. Well before Scooby-Doo? No way. Uh, Scooby yeah, the, the Scooby-Doo movie. The Scooby-Doo movie I'm talking about. Oh. Matthew Lillard <laughs> wasn't in that movie until like 2000 or some shit. 2002. Um, yeah. All right. Are we doing Scooby-Doo next, boys? There's a franchise. I, we might have to. There might be enough. <laughs> I think there might be three. Uh, I don't want to, but we might do <laughs> Uh, hey, we said we said even avoided. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> uh, and I think I've seen more Scooby Doo movies than I'd originally seen of these. So there's that. Um, but yeah, it, it's always the teams. And, and then you get to the second movie, and it's Billy's mom who wants revenge. And then her Which partner, 
is Mickey, who his motivation is just to see how far he can take it and if he can get away with it by using the, I guess, blame game of saying that media and the gore and blood and media is what skews people's minds and makes them violent. And he's going to use that as a, sort of an insanity plea almost and see if he can get away with it. Then you get to the third one. Obviously, Roman has some beef because he's the half-brother of Sydney and gets really upset that his mother left him and his father for her family. But then you get to the fourth movie, and what's her name? Is it Jill, her cousin? Jill. Yeah. Jill, uh, played by uh, Emma, Emma Roberts. Yeah. Correctly. Yep. You're yeah. right. She's re she's a really good actress, um, and I really liked her motivation. She's savage of, in that movie. Yeah, she's absolutely savage, uh, and I really liked her motivations. Like it wasn't just the generic like I want revenge because you killed so and so or your mom did this. It was like I'm jealous of your fame. I yep. want your fame, and I'm also mad that I was attached to you by blood relation this whole time. And that's a super cool motivation that I really liked and how she like set everything up beforehand and even after when she thought Sydney was dead, just the the smirk on her face when she's yeah. being carried out on the stretcher. Just amazing. I, I didn't really care for uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother that much, but his motivation was kind of interesting too. Cause he wanted to make like the first live action, real murder movie uh, and broadcast it over the internet but he gets kind of matthew lillarded when uh she stabs him and uh offs him right there yeah like as an acting performance i think she was probably the best in the yeah. franchise uh, she, her i just i loved her character she was phenomenal uh, but it at all no it was she was great um yeah but you know one of the one of the things that uh I liked about uh, oh man I don't even remember what I was going to say we might have to cut this out it was, it was a, <laughs> a good a good point for that movie that I had for sure um, oh here it is all right so you say like she she was jealous of the fame of Sydney right like that's what that was her kind of motivation like you know you're my you're my blood relative and like you're so famous for this and I've got nothing but she like the I think I like I really like the theme of you know, confusing fame for infamy. Like her fame is not a good kind of fame. It it's just vanity, really, that Jill is after. It's the vanity of what Sydney, the position that Sydney is in, whether it's you know for for good or not. You know, and um, I think that that was a really strong point for me. She wanted to be this. She thought she was getting fame, but really she went down in infamy. And I think there's a big difference with that. And I really like that theme in, in, in four in particular. Well, what's I like this point, Zach, because this movie came out in 2011. And I think it predicted in a lot of ways what's to come over the next several years, because this is before Instagram. Like this is right sure. at the cusp of really becoming like Internet famous, like that you can have a social media yeah. account and then be famous off of that. And that's what this movie was doing was like, all right, here, not the character necessarily right away, but you get the two like film nerds uh, who are recording everything because that's the intent is to make the, you know, the, the live horror movie. But 
the idea is like, yeah, they're just kids like recording their lives. And I think one of the, yeah. the lines of dialogue or lives, excuse me, um, recording their lives. Uh, but one of the lines of dialogue is something to the effect like this is the future. This is where, you know, like what we're going to be doing all the time right. is recording everything. And I was like, wow, OK, yeah, this that's what this movie is about is becoming basically Instagram famous. So for this time, it's not through your clothes or whatever you're doing, uh, but it's by murdering people like a really intense logan paul yeah <laughs> yeah and you know uh with that one video of him in japan he actually came about as close to that as you can probably come that's what exactly what i'm referring to yeah yeah what a piece of shit uh but yeah th that actually brings <laughs> me to like the last uh big like plot point i wanted to talk about is like these movies while they have like the meta commentary all the time and specifically for horror movies, and they've got the misdirection. The other big thing in these movies is each one has a social commentary as well, something on society and pop culture. So like Scream 1, to me, it was obviously the state of horror movies at the time, um, but also there was a weird kind of side plot of uh, the whole thing with Sydney's mom where it was a lot of slut-shaming, and that was... Uh, mm. Like commenting on that was pretty woke at the time, I think, for 1996, because like Sydney feels shame about it at one point, And then Billy slut shames her to hell, like to the point where she act he actually kills her um, and like blames her for breaking up his parents marriage. So that's a big plot point for that one, weirdly. And like these movies seem to be ahead of their time, like you said, like kind of predictive of what's coming or maybe it's just like Wes Craven had a really good eye for what was happening underneath the surface and he wanted to bring it to light so like in uh screen two they talk about uh whether graphic media leads to criminal actions like I talked about earlier you know blaming violence on rap video games movies whatever it might be right uh Scream 3, I thought, was a com commentary on systemic sexual abuse because it goes back to Sydney's mom and how she was an actress. And it's heavily implied that she slept around to get parts. And one of the big lines that I took from that was, uh, I think, from that director who ended up uh, being the one that had the connection to her uh, that said that he had kind of passed her around at some like casting parties and stuff. Uh, Hollywood is full of criminals whose careers are flourishing. Like that movie came out in 2001 and that like just immediately light bulb in my head. I'm like Harvey Weinstein, like Wes well, Craven's directly oh, yeah, calling yeah. out systemic sexual abuse in Hollywood. Well, like, in a in a Weinstein film, nonetheless. You know these are oh, yeah. by Weinstein. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. That's I noticed bold that. It was, fuck. I was watching the credits inadvertently. <laughs> I saw it. I was like, what the yep. fuck? That was the first time I watched the credits because I'm like, I wonder if this is a Weinstein Company film. And sure enough, it was. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Really crazy. Yeah. And then, yeah, like we said about Scream 4, it's really about internet culture and making careers out of like tragedy and like things that you shouldn't be famous for. Like you said, Andy, infamous more than anything. But people thrive on attention for some reason and they'll take anything they can get to get whatever attention they seek out for whatever reason, probably because of heavy mental illness. You know, can I say like, I, I think Scream 4 deserves a lot of praise because 
it does a great job at relating to the current time and you know the, the it's 10 years after the last scream movie and i feel like it does an awesome job at integrating the story with the current time it feels seamless like when you watch the franchise like we do you know in a pretty close proximity like we we intentionally you know watch movies in order for these franchises but the first three seem very connected right you know one and two were a year apart and like we said it was pretty much pumped out to make some money which is fine for me i actually still like the movie number three connected directly to the original cast and story and everything and i think that the to have doing a, a kind of a, a, a reboot 10 years later and integrating the story well enough as well as relating to the current time within you know internet and social media and everything that these characters go through i think they did a great job i, I think scream 4 was one of my favorites outside of the first one in that franchise for that reason yeah, I would say Scream 4 is like textbook how you do a soft reboot. Like you said, integrating the stories and plot points that were talked about, like not forgetting what happened in the first couple movies, but also trying to reinvent what they did and pile on top of that, make things connect to the modern age and make it just, I don't know, feel so seamless. Like you said, it, it was... I kind of agree. My rankings, I don't want to get into that too far right now, but top two, Scream 1 and then Scream 4 for me. Yeah. So that probably does it for plot points, unless we want to go into further stuff, if you guys have any. Well, I think we've, we've pretty much hit on our, our plot points and, and acting. Do you guys want to talk about the uh, all of the blood and shit? <laughs> Which was pretty much the only like special effects in this was gore stuff right yeah yeah and really all practical you know it was i think i think it fit the trope perfectly i don't think it was out of place at all i don't think it was over any expectation no, but i don't is, know that there's much to comment on it's not monster horror so you don't have to worry about like cgi or like prosthetics right. or anything everything is practical because it's mostly just being stabbed shot with the exception of the rose mcgowan is that her the actress name from the mm -hmm. first movie with the uh what's it called the garage door the garage door yeah yep. uh, i mean it's practical what a cool kill it's my favorite really okay so i know i i don't like it because i just think of like that's not how they work like that's of not of course not but it was awesome but I would not well, like, be... wouldn't it be cool if they did work that way well, and in that movie? OK, but here's like the, the point I'm making with it. That's where like these irrational fears of garage doors come from, because they literally got the sensor in them. That's like going to stop it from working. If it are you canceling goes... Scream one for garage door <laughs> fears? No, but I think it pe like it's what caused people to be afraid of them. Like, at, yeah, at least did, in did my you throw away your crockpot when uh, the dad on This Is Us died? I didn't even watch This Is Us. I don't know what that's a reference right. to. Well, Zach probably gets that reference. But I, I do. Fortunately. Yeah, sadly. Um, <laughs> no, it, but if you want to get technical about garage doors, if you've got something covering up that uh, sensor, well, I guess it'll just immediately default to not working. And it doesn't have that little motor does not have the 
ability not gonna, to lift it. It's not going to do anything. No, but no. what a cool kill, though. Like, just ignore that. It's so fun. She's stuck in a doggy door that she can't fit out of, and her head gets chopped off. Uh, yeah. But I actually love the idea that it was Matthew Lillard. Like, that, 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 those. That character killing that character in particular, I don't remember that per that character's name, the one that got killed, but I, but I thought that dating, was really right? like yeah. yeah, yeah. Like so like after finding out who was the killer, you're like, oh that's that's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. But it's one of my favorite kills, no matter how much it makes zero sense. It makes a lot more sense, I'll say, than like most of the kills in the uh Final Destination franchise. Oh, without a doubt. Do we have to watch that one? I hope we never we do. We don't have to do anything. All right, let's not do that one. I, yeah. I think of terms of, like, the practical effects, though, that was, like, the only time where it was, like, clearly that's, like, a dummy. The only well, time that's yeah. not, like, anything. <laughs> well, I'm just talking about, like, it was describing the effects. I don't... <laughs> Obviously. Rest in peace, Rose McGowan. But like you can tell <laughs> in that scene when you watch it that clearly it's a dummy that's in the door, not a human body. So it's not even like they attempted uh, to like CGI out the harness that's holding her up and putting in there, putting her in this configuration. <laughs> no, it's literally just a dummy that's now pulled up and can see it's a dummy. It was it was ninety six. You got to give them a little bit of credit. I think they did a great job. Uh, when did? American Werewolf in Paris come out. Wow, that's an obscure that's reference. Simple. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Nin what? 1997. <laughs> yeah. Why is that relevant? Just because of the special <laughs> like, effects in what? it. With uh, practical okay. Uh, oh, okay. use of practical <laughs> effects, special effects. Sometimes right, I got we'll random movie that. knowledge in my head, okay? I'll <laughs> we'll have to check that one out eventually. But I don't know it. So <laughs> this reminded me more of like. I got more of a Home Alone vibe from this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a Home Alone kill that actually killed somebody like it should. Right, right. Usually the wet bandits survive inexplicably. <laughs> Not yeah. in Scream. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's a little bit different, but it's got that same, like, those practical effects where the guys, like, you know, it's just like slapstick comedy almost. Yeah. You know, it's it's and, it, and I feel like that's the purpose of it. Like, it's not super serious. So I I, I liked it. But I other I mean, what else are you going to say about the effects? I mean, it's pretty much the kills, right? Yeah. I mean, we can just talk about our favorite kills. I've got a couple. Let's different talk ones. about our favorite kills. Yeah. I mean, let's just skip right to that. Well, I mean, the only one I can really think of is is the garage one. That's definitely my favorite. I thought that was. Awesome. Or the oh. um, oh, the, uh, the police car one. The, you know, he runs over. They run over the uh, the guys with the car, right? What? In the third. I, I think it's the third one, maybe. I'm not remembering that. Uh, it was it had it, it was there was something with a car. I really don't. I don't know these kills other than the, the garage one. Favorite. Uh, I like uh, from the fourth one, the um, the two police officers, because they like tell you exactly what's going to happen. You're like, oh, you know, as soon as one of us leaves like this is, you know, when we're going to die. So it's either me, I'm going to get killed or while you're waiting here, you're going to get killed. And then they go and they do the thing and they're like, oh, we didn't get killed. But that's when Ghostface shows up. I really like that one. And then his yeah. the, the black police officers line 
like I can't remember what he says at the end of it as he's like dying, but it's like some really funny line. That oh, he says. I think he says "fuck John McClane" or something oh, yeah. like that because they were talking about Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, fuck Bruce Willis. That's it. He goes, oh fuck, yeah, fuck yeah. Bruce Willis. Fuck Bruce yeah. Willis and dies. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the, those were some fun kills. There's another fun kill in that one just from like what happens. It's not even like that creative of a kill. But they establish early on in the movie uh, the rules of like, well, in this one, you pretty much have to be gay to survive. That's the only oh. way you're going to survive it. And uh, the, the one character who's buddies with uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother's character, who like films everything with him, he ends up dying. And uh, while being stabbed, he comes out of the closet to Ghostface. He's like, you can't kill me. I'm gay. And uh, Ghostface is like, well, fuck it, I'm still killing you. And is that Jill, or is that the other dude at that point in time? I don't know. That, that's the thing. That's one of the fun mysteries of these movies is, like, you don't necessarily know that's who true. was in the costume when the kills are happening. So, like, things can be either super impersonal, depending on who's in the costume, or they can be super per personal. Like, if it's Matthew Lillard in the costume, we don't know for sure, but it seems like it's heavily implied it is when they're in the house then, uh, you know, he kills his own girlfriend. Well, I so, think it has to be, because in, in the meantime, Sydney um, and Billy are having sex. I, I couldn't remember if that was around the same time. So it must be, yeah. But yeah, it's super interesting to look back and like maybe see some more Easter eggs and clues as to who's doing what at what time. Yeah, that's that, Yeah, that's true. I forgot that there were multiple killers in some of these movies as I was watching. Oh, yeah. It wasn't something I even thought of, except for the first one, because that one I remembered clearly that it was the two of them. So it was like, oh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. how they, they get away with it, thinking that it's not Billy because they have the ability to disguise as the other person and then kill with them to make it look like Billy is innocent. Right. Um, you know, my my the only other kill that comes to mind is the very first kill of the franchise where the boyfriend is out on the you don't see uh, the kill, but the boyfriend, you know, I, I can't remember his name, but Drew Barrymore's boyfriend is outside on the patio and is like he's gutted. He's just gutted, just intestines like, spilling out. Yeah, it was brutal. That's it's the first rough. kill in the movie, in the, the franchise. Yeah. And then her kill, too. She's stabbed a shit ton of times and cut oh up, and then God, she's just right, hung yeah. from a tree in their front yard. Yeah. That one is brutal, and they yeah. zoom right in on her. That sets the tone for the whole franchise. They're like, this is, yep. this is what we're going to get into, boys and girls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one that I really like just for, like, uh, some kind of real-world value, uh, Jenny McCarthy is... Uh, small character in the third one and she gets killed and i just like that she gets killed because she up. sucks in real life for sure so that's just fun uh and i think like the last oh the mail slot in four sydney's aunt when she's like uh kind of doubled over in front of the front door after uh they finally close the door on Ghostface, and he just thrusts the knife through the mail slot and gets her in the back of the head pretty fucking brutal <laughs> that's a good yeah one. there are some there are some real brutal kills yeah the, you know the other one here's what i was thinking of is the um the the car crash when like that pole oh yeah that's the, the final yeah, destination when he gets one impaled yep yeah. yeah 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 that's the one i was thinking of. and, and that's a cop driving right yeah 
Yep. And like he get they get into the crash, they try to like get out over him. Yep. And they yep. do. Yep. And then he's gone. Oh absolutely. Then he's gone. Uh, another kill I do like as we're talking about these ones. Uh in the third movie, the all the actors are now at like the Hollywood ho- home oh, in the yeah. hills there and they're they've all gathered. I like when Ghostface is sending them the fax messages oh, yeah. of like what the script is. And then That's because funny. they're all actors, they're like, We need to know, we need to know. So the one dude runs back in. And because this is filmed in you know late 90s you don't have cell phones with your led light on the back so when you need to find like a quick flashlight in the dark you have to go for your lighter to hold it up to the paper and that's the thing that sets off the the gas explosion that was a good kill yeah at the time until you like explained it the way you did i thought that was really fucking dumb i'm like oh all these circumstances have to happen where he goes back into the house just to read the facts, but like you're right because he's just a dumb actor and he wants to go in there and read it. And then also, yeah, there's not the cell phone lights that we can just light up. Like immediately my thought went to like, why don't they just go out there and turn on their fucking cell phones? But yeah, I thought it was stupid at the time when I was watching it, but the way you explained it actually makes sense. And I've uh, changed my tune on it. No one had their cell phones. Yeah. Oh, this the film came out in oh yeah two thousand okay so. two thousand so like yeah that, that's the no. advent of oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. people getting cell phones but they're still shitty right right yeah they certainly are not gonna light up what you need to read no <laughs> Th- that was probably my least favorite like motivation but some of the, like the 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 kills and the storyline really worked for me yeah. Probably the weakest movie, I would say. I don't know what you guys think about it. Uh, well, three. I, I agree. Do we want to get into our movie rankings? Because I don't yeah, know. Okay. You yeah. know yours? What, all right, what's yours? All right, I'll give you mine. So maybe a little controversial, but I like the fourth one better than the first one. And I'm going to... I just, don't blame you. I'm going to defend... Because yeah. usually like when you, you kind of put the, the first one below the, the sequels, people look down upon that. But I really liked that... The fourth one felt like the truest sequel to the previous movies. And because it was a newer movie compared to the other ones, it felt more grounded and realistic uh, than the the preceding movies. Uh, Then I would go number one right below that can't get better than the original so the fourth one i think delivers in some ways that the first one isn't able to because of the time that the movie came out but still really good the next one for me is number three i really liked number three after number two like that i thought was oh god this was horrible straight to dvd quality movie and then we got something refreshing and i like that this one fit back in the story and if i could make a crude comparison this one reminded me a lot of the rise of skywalker and the second one comparing to the last jedi not in terms of the quality but like what the intention of the movie was so number two was to like take a another story that happens right after the events of the last one relatively new or close in the timeline, you get a much okay. smaller story with these characters that you're getting, um, as opposed to, like the big sure. Woodbury thing. Um, but it's like completely different than the last story. Like now we're gonna introduce, oh, the killer is the mother of the the 
person from the last film and it's like this other random dude and didn't really it's fit. like the legacy film yeah it doesn't really like really fit in sydney's story it does but it doesn't but then the third one ties it right back nope it's all back about sydney's mom and what she was up to and what she was doing and this is her character and that's kind of like what the rise of skywalker did where it went back to like what jj abrams did in the first one no this is all about ray and like what she's doing and blah blah kyle ren like whatever kind of trying to get back to the original story that he was attempting to tell and that's what this third one felt like it was like all right we're gonna get back to the original story we're gonna end the trilogy how i wanted it to end and the second one had it kind of didn't really need to happen kind of we're just gonna glaze over everything you know what's funny is that you said next to nothing about those star wars movies but i know exactly what you're talking about yeah, yeah, you can pick up what I'm throwing down. <laughs> I, I pick up, I pick up what you're throwing down. I think you're right. Well, and it's then, not a bad. And then number two is just my least favorite because I thought it was just a complete departure from everything else. It felt really campy and cheesy, where the other ones did not feel that way. And I was nervous because, again, I'd seen this all these movies before i just couldn't remember them well and as i'm watching the second one i'm like oh my god these just get really bad this is worse and worse than i always thought and we get to the third one and i was right back into it but yeah so number two mm. least favorite did not like it at all least favorite okay i mean i i guess i i understand what you're saying but uh number two is i think better than number three. i did not i didn't like number three as much my, my ranking would go like man it's it's like a 1a 1b with Ep uh, the episode, episode. Um, <laughs> a scream one and scream four i i like them both i like i like them both for different reasons i like scream one it's the it sets the entire trilogy or trilogy oh my god you got me on star wars mode it sets the entire franchise um up right i mean you don't get scream four without scream one but scream four i feel like was like i said before it deserves a lot of praise for what it did for this franchise like by the end of three you kind of think okay that's the trilogy and then scream four comes in with purpose it comes in like the, you 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 buy that it's part of this of sydney's story um, so I, I think Scream 4 did a great job at, you know, being, uh, again, 10 years later after the last Scream movie and being just as relevant. So it's got to be 1A, 1B for me with 1 and 4. And I can't even tell you which one is which. Scream uh, 3, or excuse me, three, Scream 2, I liked. I, I really did. I don't, I don't think it was. I, I understand what you're saying about it being like over the top. But I I felt its intention to be over the top, and I didn't take that as a negative. I it, it was meant to be this, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, the inception of Scream of slasher films. Like it's taking you just one level further, and that's what I really liked about it. Actually, is it's taking you not necessarily out of the movie, but it's giving you that perspective that you would want uh, as the detective of the story, right? It gives you all of this kind of um, overview of the characters and within, you know, the, again, the, the movie within the movie. So I actually, I actually enjoyed it. And then three, I just, it, it, it didn't, I think the plot in general was what it turned me off. I didn't like the idea of, rewriting the story or making the sequel to stab 
I felt it was just the weakest plot of the franchise, and so it didn't really resonate with me. So that's my ranking. I'm going to go pretty much with what you said. I think one just barely edges out four just because it is the one that established it and it was groundbreaking at the time. So like you can't minimize that. Although I'd make the argument that if I'm going to go back and watch these movies, I would watch one again, but I think I'd be more excited to rewatch four than one. So it's very close, but just by default, I'll give it to one. And like you said, four just does such a great job of that soft reboot, but also just really keeping it within the story. And it really elevates the acting like beyond what any of the movies had seen before, great like point. getting a an actress like Emma Roberts in there actually yeah. made everybody else seem better. Like uh, David great Arquette great. was probably at his best in that movie because he is like the most confident version of himself. Uh, and like everybody is fully realized as much as they can be as like these very tropey characters in that movie. So I really enjoyed four and one is obviously just groundbreaking and wonderful. Uh, I'm going to agree with two over three. I, I agree with what you said, Andy, that still doesn't make it worse than three for me. I think I really liked that two. like just dove right into, well, this is the sequel and we're going to explain the rules of the sequel and we're going to do all the sequel stuff. So it, it just really dove right in, which is what you expect from it. Maybe it did a little too much, probably because of studio pressure and stuff like that. And again, you're cranking out a movie within one year of the last movie. That being said, I think it's just a bit stronger than three. And I agree with Zach. I don't like the rewriting of the history, I guess, like going back into the history books of Scream and like, oh, well, I was the architect of all of this kind of like, you know, you did explain it as it uh, relates somewhat to Rise of Skywalker. And I agree with that comparison, but I have huge problems with Rise of Skywalker and I have a lot of problems with this movie too. So while I can see the comparison and relation to them, I don't like it so it ultimately is the worst that being said it's probably one of the best worst movies in a franchise i've seen in a long time if we go back and look at the worst movies in the franchises that we've watched i'd say it's stronger than a lot of those that's yeah i would agree with that for sure for sure i don't think i really disliked a movie in this franchise. I no. really liked the franchise, and I don't say that <laughs> lightly. Uh, if you listen to any of our previous episodes, you know I I had a lot of fun through this whole series, and it was really cool to see. So even episode, oh my god, I keep saying episode, uh, Scream Three, uh, though it's my least favorite of the franchise, uh, it it really I, I enjoyed it still. You know, it was uh, it's just it's it's a good mix of fun, suspense, and horror that that just brings it all together. It's just I, that's my kind of my I guess my overall thoughts of the franchise. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's to hear you guys say that three is your least favorite, yet it is preferred over two, in my opinion. Um, I think that just speaks volumes then about how good this franchise is because of the fact that, like, yeah, if I think two is my least favorite of it, one that I would not want to rewatch again, probably I would rewatch three if not if I was forced to, but like to get back into and miss see the things I might have missed through the first rewatch of it. 
but the whole time like i'm invested in these movies i can't wait to see you know who done it in the end i like following along i like trying to guess i like the jump scares that happen so it checks all the boxes yeah. of a really good movie franchise yeah yep it, it totally does exactly what it set out to do and it does it well and uh, that's really all you can ask for with these uh it really does speak volumes like you said that the worst movie even if they're different for all of us is probably not worse than the third ranked movie in other franchises like it's just such a solid franchise you know we talked about the hunger games being a solid franchise in the last episode I think this is probably even more on solid ground than the Hunger Games. Yep, agreed. Yeah, I think it was it was just a really good series overall. Yeah. So I guess the uh, burning question, guys, who are your favorite killers? What's your favorite team? What's what, what's your rank there? And I guess you could also pick favorite individual if you wanted to. But since most of them are in teams and they kind of play off of each other, I thought it was appropriate to kind of list the uh, team. So I'll go through those really quick just to remind people. So in the first movie, the killers are Billy and Stu. Billy is uh, Sid's boyfriend and Stu is, uh, what's her name? Rose McGowan's character's boyfriend, who I <laughs> yeah. cannot remember the name of. In two, the killers are Mickey, who's a classmate of Sidney's, and uh, Mrs. Loomis, Billy's mom. In three, uh, the, the single killer is Roman, her half-brother. And then in four, the killers are Trevor, who is Rory McCulkin, Collie McCulkin's brother, and uh, Jill, who's her cousin, Sydney's cousin. Which, by the way, did not know that it was uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother while I was watching it. Can you see the resemblance now that I mention it, though? Yeah. It's in the eyes. Yeah. I think he was... Uh, the, the kid in Home Alone, because I, I know they like always tried to insert his brother, even though right. he was not as good of an actor into the movies. I think he's the one who uh, Macaulay Culkin complains. What's the bet a lot? That's correct. In Home Alone. That is correct. Yeah, uh, uh, we can do Home Alone. I am a Home Alone I, connoisseur. I would do that. We, we get to see our uh, current lame duck president, uh, soon to be former president in Home Alone, too. And, and we're heading into royalties. the holiday season, yeah. so I feel like that's not a bad one to to get into. But okay, let's right. let's talk hey, about. Let's circle back to that. Yeah, the yeah. the favorite killers. Put a pin in it. Um. So, little sidebar with this though, we just glazed over the Timothy Oliphant too, like that. He's what do you mean? We've not mentioned a Mandalorian. How we we've just seen this character. Um, in TV, and then we're reminded of him again. It's um, it's hardly relevant. Oh, I yeah, I mean, we're getting there. <laughs> well, I, like, I, if you want to talk about Timothy <laughs> Oliphant, can be. Yeah, because I'm yeah, gonna, Timothy so Oliphant's great. But. I'm gonna give some, uh, throw some props to Mickey, the character from Two, Scream Two, because he's played. Yeah, it fantastic played casting, and he does yeah. a good job. Because I did not expect him to be the killer the whole time. So I hate Mrs. Loomis. I think that was a terrible the character worst. to introduce, yeah. but I liked Mickey as being like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. He's literally like a psychopath who's going to college, and there's this whole plot that's been developed to get him to do these things, but I like Timothy Oliphant playing this character. I think he did a good job, yeah. so I think he was my right. favorite 
killer, but not with the pair. But the favorite pair of killers, definitely Billy and Stu, 100%. Then I'd say throw Trevor and Jill right below them as, again, this kind of like one to four comparison. Really hard to compete with those two. Didn't care for Roman. Um, the whole throwing in that it's like the half-brother character, which is kind of weird because it would mean that like the mom left her child to like go have like another family, which I guess I mean does that's his whole fit. motivation. Yeah, but it's just like a weird thing. Like I don't believe it. I don't see it as the being good enough to fit the rest of the world um, that is established in these movies. So I'd say Roman was my least favorite of the actual killers, but Mrs. Loomis takes the cake as being the worst of all of them. That's fair. That's uh, that is fair. Uh, all right. I I I almost wholly agree with what you said, but I really want to know which Timothy Oliphant character you like better, Cobb Vanth or Mickey. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's hard to say because we didn't get a lot of Cobb Vanth, nor did we get a lot of Mickey. Like he's a very minor character in these movies. Yeah. But I'll I'll have to. Oh, I just sorry, banging my desk really out there. Um, I'll go. I'll definitely go with the gunslinger in this case, Cobb Vanth. Cobb Vanth. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Oh there. man. Can we do a Mandalorian podcast, by the way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, man, why aren't we? This is Monday. about franchises. It doesn't necessarily have to just be movies. Boys. We can branch out. Well, a quick sidebar. I want to do Mando Mondays on my stream. So if you guys want to oh. hop on stream with me, we can talk about Mandalorian. Fuck, yeah. All right, Franchise Flicks podcast listeners, you heard right. Mando Mondays on the Darth Buckman stream. I love it. All right, but what are you guys' favorite killers, teams? All right, so I like I said, I, I, I almost wholly agree with you, other than Mrs. Loomis. I think that... All right, so Billy and Stu, great, great killers. I mean, how awesome. And then, you know, Stu kind of gets a little, you know, effed over. And the whole thing, but you expected that. It was, I loved Billy and Stu. Trevor and Jill, my second favorite, specifically Jill. I thought Emma Watson was just unbelievable. I mean, again, like just a tier above the rest of the actors. Uh, I love Emma Watson too, <laughs> but it was Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. No, Emma <laughs> Robert. Um, what's her yeah, Emma Roberts. Or, uh, <laughs> Not Emma Thompson either. <laughs> we got all the Emmas in this one. Did I, did I say Emma Watson at first? You, you did, know. but. Uh, Emma Roberts, excuse maybe me. Maybe she'll be in five. We don't know. <laughs> Who knows? We, we got we to gotta touch on that. Um, but uh, Emma Roberts, uh, I thought, was phenomenal as Jill. The was it she cousin or something like that? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and then Mickey, Mickey, and uh, Mrs. Loomis. I, you know, I had moments of doubt about Mrs. Loomis. There were parts in that movie where it's like, it's got to be that lady that keeps bothering Gail, and you didn't know it was Mrs. Loomis until the end. But there were parts of like, no, nah, I don't think that's it. So I think that just having that mystery of who the actual killers were in this, I think actually was my one of my favorites because the other ones. You didn't necessarily know, but you could guess. This one really surprised me. I didn't think um, that it was going to be this pair. Um, so I liked them a lot. And then, uh, again, it's just the plot, I think, that makes Roman weak here. I liked the movie, but it was definitely the weakest in the franchise. And I think Roman is a big part of that because I just don't like the, his motive to, to be killing everybody. So 
that's yeah. mine. I, I pretty much agree with that. Maybe Billy and Stu and Trevor and Jill could be interchangeable. I think Trevor drags down Jill a little bit. It's I true. like his motivation, but I'm not a big fan of his character that much. So I think Billy and Stu maybe get that edge just because they're both really fun characters. I, I love Mickey. Mrs. Loomis it is a little interesting, like you guys said, uh, because I was thinking if she was going to be the killer, it would be because she seemed to be obsessed with Gail for some reason. But that was really kind of throwing you off. And then you find out that she's Billy's mom. So that's like a twist out of nowhere that doesn't necessarily sit well with me. But when it's not super set up, it doesn't have to be completely set up, but it has to have some kind of clue. Like, I got that she might be the killer, but her motivations and, like, who she was came completely out of nowhere for me. And then kind of the same for Roman. Like, there's really nothing to set up that he's the half-brother of Sydney, And it's just kind of, that's the reveal at the end. And, and maybe that's the point in those movies is, like, playing up the trope of the twist that wasn't set up at all. I mean, maybe if you go back and look at the script and uh, maybe that was the intention for Wes Craven, I don't know, but it doesn't work that well. I, um, I don't think that I didn't read that at all. No, it, it's probably not. But who knows? What, what, I miss what you said there, Ted. Like what what point are you making? I, I was just giving possible benefit of the doubt that maybe it was the intention of playing on another trope of not setting up the twist. You mean in number two with Mrs. Loomis? Uh, both in two with Mrs. Loomis and with Roman. I mean, the connection between Roman and Sydney wasn't established until he just says it at the end. Like, you can maybe see why he'd have reason to be a killer for whatever reason, but mm -hmm. it, just because he's, like, jilted about being stuck with these shitty movies, these stab movies, but outside of that, you really don't see it, and then he just has to explain everything in, like, the last five minutes when he's talking to Sydney, and it just doesn't really work. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. At least they gave setup, though, I think more so than... Because Mrs. Loomis wasn't ever the killer, right? I don't think that's implied. I think she's just, the like, the mastermind behind it. She's never in the ghost face get-up going around killing people. That's yeah, right. I, I, I think Mickey does reference like saying that she was like the financier, I guess, yeah. like in oh. ma making sure he had everything he needed and was able to get away in certain instances. Uh, so he was the only one that was killing. I kind of missed that. I think it's implied because that's one of my problems with this movie. I don't think it's really well addressed actually you don't know you're guessing because that's the the one movie i'm where like i have no idea i don't remember who the killer is i don't remember who the person who ultimately does this in the end and then it's like oh yeah it's like timothy elephant that we got two seconds of at the start of the movie and then this reporter lady who happens to be billy's mom but this is the first time we're hearing that's billy's mom i think to ted's point if they had done something yeah. like a little better like laid some clues to it because at least with roman like it was pretty obvious like he was a suspect right in the scene where his like it's his voice calling so you're the throwaway there is okay well we know it has this voice recorder but in this case it's literally him and he gets framed for it and gets taken in so like they're kind of leading you already down that pathway to hey get this guy on your radar i didn't think that she was ever the killer uh mrs loomis but i definitely think that she was up to something 
yeah that's yeah. interesting i think i think it works better in in that respect because you uh, you can kind of you, you you already have your radar out for this person who keeps bothering gal weathers like there's got to be something up with this person right but you don't know exactly who she is but when you find out who she is it makes perfect sense why you know her motive actually makes sense to you you, yeah. you get it right but I think the difference between her and Roman is that his relationship with Sydney is almost regardless of what his actual motive is. There's no real reason for him to be her like stepbrother, you know, like it, right. it, it doesn't make as much sense in terms of the relationship as Mrs. Loomis did to the story. You know, and then you you realize, oh, okay, she's been you know either you know posing as a reporter or just somebody who's bothering this person because she is trying to get revenge on Sydney. Yeah, but there's no real there's no real reason I, that I can tell for Roman and his relationship to Sydney. They both suffer from lack of setup, but in different ways. So like Roman's is like you can see how he could be the killer, like I said, because clear motivation is fuck these movies i'm killing all these people as revenge for having to do these movies but uh for mrs loomis she just seems like she's obsessed with gail and that yeah. that's really like right. the only thing there is and like maybe it's just that she's that she's set up as a reporter and she clearly is obsessed with gail and maybe that's just like she wants to be gail so bad that she's willing to kill her yeah but in both aspects, being Mick or uh, Billy's mom, and then uh, Roman being Sydney's brother, half brother, aren't clarified until the very last moment in that penultimate scene. I think the only thing that two does better than three in this case is at least the misdirect. I like the misdirect of uh, Sydney's boyfriend, who we haven't really touched on. I mean, he's kind of just there. But uh, like her trust issues from what she went through with Billy in the first movie lead her to think that he's possibly behind it to the point where Mickey's got him strung up in the auditorium and she's like legitimately looking at him like, is he the one who's behind this? Is he a partner of Mickey here? And then he just straight up uh, shoots the guy and reveals that it was him. But that misdirect is good, but that's about it. Yeah, I like, I think, what exactly what you said there, Ted, how it's the setup, I think, was better for Roman to be thought of as the killer, not necessarily Mrs. Loomis. If they had played into it, not like the whole Billy Billy's mom twist, but that she was just like another reporter trying to be the copycat um, and play into it, I think that would have been a, a better version of this character as opposed to Billy's mom, because that's just like a twist that comes out of nowhere, just like Roman is, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah, there's really no setup, and there's no the, you would not have a reason to believe this was Billy's mother until she says it. Yeah, yep. I, I, I can see where you're coming. Is there anything else we want to touch on? Any favorite no. moments? What's your favorite moment in the series? And we'll end on that. Favorite moment. I'll start. My favorite moment is when. I, and I already touched on this earlier, but it is when uh, they say they always come back. And Mickey, Mickey wakes up and they have to kill him again. That that's my favorite moment. Timothy Oliphant died twice. 
Yeah, those are fun moments. I, I think probably my favorite moment is one that I mentioned earlier myself too. the, the whole Jamie Kennedy yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis in That's the movie <laughs> with the exact same scenario happening behind them. And I just really like that is good. Randy as a character. I love that he's just clearly blatantly a plot device and they don't hide it at all. And he does a great job of it. He just goes right the fuck into it and he's very self-aware about it. Yep. I can't think of like a single moment that sticks out as my favorite. Uh, I, I'm like, I'm really struggling to think of what would be just like a particular scene or something a character does. And nothing's coming to mind. Sorry, guys. Kind of dropped the ball on this one. Can't think of a favorite <laughs> moment. Yeah, it, no worries. It's, it's true. I mean, there's 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 a lot of different like moments, but none that really are like super. I, they're not huge moments until you get to like the reveals of everything. So I get, I just really liked the the idea of of the the scene that I mentioned. So I, I think if I had um, to pick one favorite like moment, or because you said like thing in general with this franchise, the cold opening from the first movie, because I think that yeah like, sets up exactly what this series is about and then we get a version of it in every subsequent movie that comes out but the first one sets this up perfectly gets us what our expectations are for the film how the story is going to unfold what's it even about all right from that opening scene and it was just done so well yeah yeah That's yeah good i mean you can't can't argue with that for sure Bring it back to Star Wars really quick. Uh, we haven't even mentioned that Carrie Fisher makes a cameo oh, in God. three. Oh, and God, she makes so this right. great joke about uh, how because she plays an actress who looks like Carrie Fisher, but was a failed actress. Yep. And she said that Carrie Fisher got the parts because she slept with George Lucas, which is just hilarious. <laughs> I can't believe nobody mentioned that <laughs> this whole time. Yeah. Then there's the other pretty bad cameo of jay and silent bob where jay says literally hey look silent bob it's gail weathers like why are you saying his name that defeats the purpose of the cameo people are supposed to point at them and say i know who they are without you telling them hated that and call out yeah. <laughs> the cameos I, I thought they were funny and that they're now that you're just reminding me of them i like there the character one but that one was just blatantly uh, it felt kind of like the uh, bring it back to Star Wars again, the R2-D2 and C-3PO and Rogue One just like there for no reason. Yeah, that's, that's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, the last thing we want to talk about before we end the Scream conversation is there's going to be a Scream 5. So it did end with four. Yeah, I don't know anything about any. Like, it's, it's 2021. Is that when we're I expecting think so. it? Uh, and it sounds like most of is the it? original cast of survivors from the movies is coming back. Yeah. So oh, really? So we're going to see like Courtney Cox and I think Campbell? So. Yep. It's a direct sequel. So it's not going to be like a, a reboot of the franchise. It's Scream 5. It fits right in with everything else. Here's the disappointing news, though. In an interview uh, with the director, because Wes Craven um, has died. Uh, he's not right. directing this film. It's completely separate right. from the other ones. Actually, can I can I interrupt you real yeah. quick? I, I I needed to know. Did did Wes Craven direct one, two, three, and four? Did he direct all four of them? I, I for some so. reason, I missed that. I think so. I did don't he know direct four? Four. Um, he did direct four. Yes. Yeah. He did. Wow. Uh, okay. He was direct. I, I, 
director, writer, and producer for actually. So he direct and uh, produce Scream Four. He did not write Scream Four. Okay. All right. Either way, uh, I just I want to give him all the credit for this yeah. franchise. He he did a great job. Well, with I, so. I think they flourished because they had the the same guy with the same vision across the board directing these movies. Hallelujah. Well, and yeah. that's where the disappointment might come into play with this movie, uh, because in an interview, yeah. and of course I'm forgetting who the director is of Scream 5, but he did indicate that it's not going to play into the kind of like meta analysis of these movies, which Interesting. concerns me, because I don't know how you continue on Scream without it being meta. It just might mean yeah. they, not, they might not go beyond the current level of meta that they're already doing. So it's not going to like change the plot, but you know how it kind of like doubled down on meta. It was like the movie within the movie. And now it was like the movie, like having to be like the rewrite of the movie, which I guess is what you could call for. So I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or not, but it, when I did read that, I was like, Ooh, that kind of like defeats the whole purpose of this franchise. So I hope this is uh, a bad quote or like a, a bad interpretation of this quote taken out of context. Yeah. That's like, the main theme in the franchise <laughs> it's the draw of the movies that's what yeah. did it for me yeah agreed uh, yeah that's gonna be really know. weird i i mean i'll watch it no matter what i mean I, previous to this episode of our podcast it was not on my radar at all yeah but after watching this franchise i'm excited to see it the Absolutely. fact even like i mean it's gonna be about the same amount of time um, as it took from three to four, right? It's about about ten years between yep. the two movies, and hopefully it delivers as 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 big as four did for me. Because uh, again, that was one of my favorites in the franchise. The, um, the cast is all like actors. I don't know Jenna Ortega, what she's been in recently, but um, Jack Quaid, he's the dude from The Boys, the Amazon show. Dylan Minnette, I feel like he's been in like Netflix shows. So it's like some of these these newer up and coming actors, young ones. So we're probably going to get some kind of young story. But you said the survivors from the franchise are going to be in it. Yeah. So Sydney, uh, Dewey, yeah. Gail, yeah. David Deputy, Arquette, huh? Judy. Apparently that was the other oh, lady's the name. Yeah. Poor. Yeah. She's going to be in it. I think that's it for returning actors who at least have been put on the cast list. I'm sure there might be cameos from other smaller characters. Who knows? Oh, I'm not I familiar so. with the directors here. Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gallette. Apparently it's a duo directing it. Yeah, not hmm. familiar. Don't know what they've done before. Not really uh, going to look into it. Not not much of a Benioff and Weiss. Uh, for better or worse. So I don't recognize him, but... But <laughs> fair, uh, but we'll yeah, we'll see either way. I mean, the, the, if, if they're trusting them to make a scream movie, it, it should be pretty good. I mean, the, the this franchise hasn't disappointed me yet. So, yeah, I, I guess that's it, boys, about the, you know, scream. <laughs> Still a little late for Halloween, but but that's OK. Well, people don't know that that are listening to audio. They have no clue. No clue. <laughs> well, they do now. <laughs> well, shit. Well, getting away from that, uh, let's talk about what we're doing for next month. Uh, yeah. so next month in November, 
unfortunately we couldn't find any thanksgiving franchises or even really thanksgiving movies that i could think of so we're just gonna go with a classic we're gonna go with back to the future who can beat that marty mcfly it's the power of love that's what that is absolutely power of love and you know what we can talk about how the cubs have won the world series now we can revisit that prediction I think that's the only, is that like the only uh, true prediction? Hoverboards, Hoverboards in some, some extent. I they're, feel like that's a pretty big stretch. I mean, they're called hoverboards, so I don't know. But they're, but they're also not hoverboards. Right. They're, they're things that I would definitely fall off of and smash my fucking face on the pavement. On. Do they have the shoes? Is the shoes a real thing? They the, did. the self-tying shoes? They did make those. Did. I feel like they made those, right? They did. All right. That's it for me, boys. I gotta go potty. Let's go. (laughs) Can we keep that in, please? Sure. Absolutely. I'm not cutting that out. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, find us on most podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Franchise Flicks for new episodes and other content. You can follow Andy on Twitch and Instagram at Darth Buckman and follow Zach on Twitter at underscore Zach Russo. Talk to you next time.